All right, as you guys know, we're going through Luke, uh, and uh, we have chapter 9 and 10 today. And if you haven't been, I really want to encourage you, please, during the week, take the time to just be reading through those, those chapters. I, I pretty much just read both chapters that, we're, that we have each week, so next week is going to be 11 and 12. So throughout the week, incorporate that in your time. Even if you only read through once, um, it's still a blessing because it's amazing how through the repetition of reading, how much God speaks to us. So take advantage of this as we as a family are going through Luke. I know many of, many of you are, probably most of you are, but uh, I want to just re-invite you to be reading through the scriptures with us. So I've got, uh, I got to do Luke 9 and 10, and it has been amazing. So I want to begin by... Um, reminding you as we kicked off Luke that Luke is written in such a way as to present the gospel of the kingdom. And he wants to present the validity of the gospel of the kingdom. He wants to pre present the, the factuality of the gospel of the kingdom. He wants to present the power of the gospel of the kingdom. And he wants to cause you and I to believe in Jesus Christ and to become followers of Christ and to extend the kingdom. And that's his goal. Now, we don't know if that was for only, uh, you know, if he, if he was writing it, if Theophilus was sending it because Paul was on trial. And, and so he wanted to present the whole case and hopefully convert that person. But we also know, too, that he was writing writing it so that whoever read it would, would hear and understand and believe and understand what it is to be a follower of Christ. Now, how many of you guys know, uh, it's in John, that, um, that, it's, that, there, that it says, if we were to write down everything that Christ did, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world to contain all the books of everything that he did. You guys remember what I'm talking about there? And, and, I, and I bring that up because what I want you to understand is that Paul, when he wrote this book, he had to choose which stories to tell in order to convey the gospel of the kingdom, in order to convey the validity and the power and then what it is to be a disciple of Christ. So he's picking out stories going, oh, this is gonna help the reader to understand what Jesus is like, what the Father is like, what the Holy Spirit is like, what the church is like, and what we're called to do in the kingdom for, for, for all of time. Do you see that? So he had to pick which stories because he's trying to give you the arc of the overall story and hope that you and I would understand and be transformed by this and become believers and followers of Christ. You got that? Okay, so I want to talk to you as we go through 9 and 10. I'm going to cover a decent amount of material here because I'm going to actually walk us through 9 and 10 and we're going to culminate with the last verse of what I believe that Luke is trying to get us to understand. And, and you're going to see uh, some, some pretty cool things emerge. So let's just jump right in here. The first thing that happens in, in, uh, in, in uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, is Jesus appoints the 12 apostles, and he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and preach the kingdom of God. So he gives them that mandate. He sends them out and says, go do the stuff, guys. Go do what I've showed you what to do, how to do it. And so then in Luke 9, 20 through 22, then Jesus, after, after seeing miracles, healing, and people set free, then Jesus asks them, hey guys, who are people saying that I am? You're out there extending the kingdom, healing the sick, doing the stuff. Now you tell me, what is it that people are saying about who I am? And Peter says to him, you're the Christ of God. In other words, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that was prophesied that was to come. And we know that Jesus says to him that the Lord has revealed this to you. Good job. But then he turns right around now 
And he tells him this. So, so you gotta, now you got to catch the context here. They're realizing Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that's going to redeem all things. He's going to bring his kingdom. All the wrongs are going to be righted. And, and Peter's like, this is amazing because I'm with you. Like, we're part of your cabal. Like, we're in. We're on the inner. And you're the Christ, and we are with you already doing this. It's going to be super cool. And Jesus goes, hey, Peter, the thing you need to understand is Verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. And they're like, what? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. You're the Messiah. Okay, so catch that. He goes, so you need to understand I am the Messiah, but I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be raised the third day. So they're kind of scratching their head. Okay, so it continues. Then Jesus Coming off of that, say, all right, I came to be killed and to be raised again. Then Jesus begins to say, now, if any of you want to follow me in my kingdom, then I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. So he says, listen, the son of man came to be killed. And guess what? You get to share in that a little bit. You also need to understand that if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me daily. It's not about what you want. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about your little pet programs and and your idea of what it is. It's about me. You're following me and I'm going to lead the way and you're going to do the same thing. Now, obviously, you and I aren't going to go to the cross and get crucified for anybody's sins because we don't qualify. We're not good enough. We're not big enough. <laughs> and we're not smart enough. So we don't, we're not called to that, but we are called to what Jesus was called to, to daily take up our cross and follow him. So he's saying, this is about following me. Are you guys with me? Then he says this. It's important that as you're following me that you don't gain the world and lose your soul. So he's saying, you could actually have lots of friends, lots of influence, lots of these things. And of course, they were understanding the kingdom to mean that, that Jesus was going to come and that he was going to lead them to this huge kingdom on earth that they could see and be a part of. And he's saying, actually, I'm going to die. And I'm calling you also to lay down your own ambitions, your own desires, your own way of doing things and join me in what I'm doing. And then he goes further to say, and in fact, be careful that you don't gain uh, the world at the cost of your own soul. And then he says this, some of you standing here will see the kingdom of God. The next scene that we find, the very next scene, is Jesus in his glory. And he's talking in the Mount of Transfiguration. So he goes and he's talking with Elijah and Moses. And at that time it says, Peter, not even knowing what to do or say, He says, Lord, it would be good if we build a tabernacle here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And and he, you know, he's just, it's, it's his immediate response to what he understands the kingdom to be. And he's thinking, oh, if, like you just told us we would see the kingdom of God, and here I am, Jesus has been transfigured. Here's Moses and Elijah, the, the law and the prophets being revealed, and Peter thinks, oh, The kingdom has come. I'm seeing the kingdom. And indeed, he was. But his assumption was, oh, Lord, you want it to be a geographic location, and we'll build a tabernacle, and people can come to the kingdom. And then right in that moment, in verse 35, then God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus, the father points them to Jesus and says, no, Peter, it's not what you're thinking. We're not going to build tabernacles. I'm not looking to create a geographic location where people are going to come like a Mecca, which is their old understanding, by the way. People came to Jerusalem and he's thinking, this is where it's going to be. He says, no, 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 this is about Jesus. Listen to him. 
He's fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling the prophets. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. Listen to Jesus. You guys see that? So again, what are the, what's happening here in Luke? He's showing them what the kingdom is like and he's showing him how it works. So they just found out, okay, it's not a geographic location. The next scene that we see right after the Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus delivering then the demonized child, okay? And it was a particularly hard case. You guys recall this. And they couldn't cast the de demons out. They're going, we tried and we tried, but we can't make it happen. And the people came and Jesus cast the demon right out. And it says in verse 43, they were all amazed at the majesty of God. They're looking at this and they're going, whoa, look at how huge Jesus is. Like surely then the kingdom might not be in a geographic location, then it must be spreading out and we're here, we're with him. And then Jesus says to this, it says everyone marveled at all these things, but Jesus took his disciples privately aside and he says this, let these words sink down into your ears. How many of you guys have ever taken like an especially uh, distracted, strong-willed child and been like, let these words sink into your ears, right? Get their little cheeks, sink into your ears. We're not going to get ice cream right now. <laughs> he says, listen, let them sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He's reminding him again, listen, you're looking at this majesty, but you need to understand I came to die and to be raised again. So he's reminding him again, this is about what I'm doing. This isn't just about the things you're seeing. Those are fine, but don't lose the main, the main thing. Do you guys see that? So then the next thing, Luke takes us then, and it says immediately, so they go, okay, the kingdom is not a geographic location. Um, we're seeing that Jesus clearly is able to deal with all these major things, and they're, they're still, but they're still not getting this part about him dying. They just can't comprehend it. So they're thinking, okay, but at least we're with Jesus. So then they do what any good group of people would do. They start comparing themselves one with another to see, okay, well then who's the greatest among us? And that's what it says. A dispute arises among them, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their hearts, took a little child, and he set him by him. And he says, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all will be great. They're going, okay. So Jesus is saying, this kingdom that I'm bringing isn't about who's top dog. It's not about particularly if you're a leader or not, but rather it's about if you're receiving those that I've sent to you. And that's what makes you the greatest in this kingdom. So they're like, oh, it's, it's more exclusive than that. So it's not about, okay, so we're not going out. We're kind of going in. Well, that's cool. We're cool with that. Like, I mean, Jesus may have broke us down a little bit with the whole thing of that we don't need to worry too much about who's the, the leader, who's on the top of the top. We can get there by, by, by being the least of these. All right, I can dig on a, I can dig on a Christian clique. So they're thinking, okay, it's a small thing. All right, good, because we're in. Right? How many of you guys identify with that? Right? It's like, ooh, yeah, it's all about small groups. Oh, perfect, good, I'm the closest to Jesus. I have the greatest revelation. So they're cool with that. Well, the very next thing that happens then is, uh, is John says, hey, we saw this guy, he was casting out demons in your name, so we told him to knock it off because clearly he's not part of this small group. And Jesus says to him, no, don't forbid him for he who's not against us is on our side. So they're like, I thought this was all about this, this inner group and we're ready to be small and now you're saying you're gonna let other people do stuff in your name. So they get an upgrade again. Okay, all right. Um, 
So it's not exclusivity. Um, we were thinking we were the greatest because you just told us we could be the greatest by being the least and we were just like, sweet, then we'll be the leastest and we'll forbid other people from being part of our leastest, which is actually the greatest. And he's like, nope, I'm gonna let people, I, this kingdom's bigger than what you're thinking. Other people are gonna be doing things in my name. So they're going, all right. So it's not a click. It's not about keep, keeping people out. So it's not about, so those that are for us, those who, I'm sorry, those who aren't against us are for us. So they get that. All right, sounds good. So then in Luke 9, 51 through 56, the disciples are then faced with a, with a new thing that happens. They're, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And, and here's what Jesus is doing is as he travels, he teaches and talks and he sends the disciples ahead to the different villages on their way while they're traveling. And they say, the kingdom of heaven is coming near you. They do miracles, they prepare the way, and then Jesus comes into town. So he sends the disciples, they go into this Samaritan village and they say, hey, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to come through your town. The kingdom has certainly come near you. And the people say, oh, no, oh, absolutely not. Because the Samaritans and the, and the, the Jews they are not friends. They do not get along well at all. They don't like each other one bit. And so they're like, if Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, then he cannot come through this town. So, so they go back and they go, okay, well, Jesus said if the, that those who are not against us are for us. Well, these guys are clearly against us. So they say, Lord, can we call down fire on this village then? Because you just said, as long as they're not against us, they're for us, but these guys are against us. Let's call down fire. Do you, see the, do you see this? They're learning. Jesus is teaching them. And it's almost like process of elimination. Like, okay, so if it's not about this, then it must be about that. And he goes, listen, guys. What does he say? The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So they're like, <laughs> another lesson. Okay, okay, so, so we don't get to call down fire. It's not about vengeance. It's, uh, it's not about eradicating wickedness. It's not about getting rid of those bad people that are on the outside that are against us. He's saying, no, even those that are against us, my father loves them too. Do you see this? So what's the next story we see? What does Luke bring us to? He begins then, from this point, he begins to teach them and he says this. Someone, someone came to Jesus now and he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, well, that's wonderful. However, you need to know this, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus is saying, if you're following me, I am the one guarantee you have. I'm not guaranteeing that you're always gonna have a home. I'm not guaranteeing that you're always gonna have shelter. I'm not guaranteeing that everything in this life goes perfectly well. So for this particular person, and Luke is pointing this out to us, that when this person came and said, I'm gonna follow you wherever you go, Jesus says, that's wonderful. I want you to do that. But if you're here because you're in it to have a, a guarantee of always being sheltered and always having a home, if you're in it for what you can get out of it, you just need to understand the Son of Man doesn't guarantee all those things all the time. But I guarantee this, you'll have me. What's the next thing that we see? The next thing we see is two more examples. One, Jesus says to him, follow me. And he says, well, first let me go, borrow, let me go bury my father. And to another one, he says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go and first bid well to those, bid farewell to those who are at my house. Verse 61, and Jesus says to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying, he's telling the one, listen, when you've been called, I have to come before your family. Jesus is saying, I come before your family. 
I'm before even the very people of your house. If I, when, I, when you're coming to me, I'm before them. So the next he's saying to him, I come before your friends and those even in your own home. Don't look back. He didn't disqualify anyone. He's telling them, you need to understand, don't disqualify yourself. If you're still trying, if you're trying to follow me, but also have these other things ahead of me, it won't work. That's not how the kingdom works. And, and have, you, have, you guys, have you guys spotted the thing that's consistent here? Jesus is calling people to himself. They're coming for a lot of different reasons. Power, prestige, vengeance, being part of the inner circle, those that they're against, those that they're for, homes, protection, family, all those things. And Jesus goes, none of those things are the most important thing. The most important thing is me. And if you'll follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me and you'll have me. Then Jesus sends out the 70. So what, you, what I want you to catch is that during this whole time, Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching. The 12 have gone out, they've been doing miracles and signs and then Jesus comes and he does more miracles and signs and at this point his following is getting bigger. So then he prays hands, he lays hands on and anoints the 70 and he sends them out with the same commission that he had sent the 12 out. So the kingdom is expanding, more and more people are following, the work is continuing and then when they come back, from their first missions trip, right? He sends them out two by two. They come back from all the villages and they say to him, Jesus, it was amazing. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, oh, you think that's awesome? Because here's what they're saying. Like, even these demons were subject. And he goes, oh, you think that's awesome? Like, you kicked out some, like, little deaf and dumb demons? I'm telling you, it's even better than that. I actually saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. You, you, like, you're rejoicing because this, little, this little, little tootsie demon popped out. I'm telling you, Satan himself just fell from power. It's even bigger than what you think. And he goes, but, but don't rejoice over the fact that you have authority over demons. Rejoice over the fact that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice over the fact that your name is written in my Lamb's book of life. So even the powerful things that you're doing to destroy the works of the devil, they're wonderful and it's even bigger than you think it is. But it's nothing compared to the fact that you have me and that I have you. Isn't that beautiful? And then Jesus at that time, he begins to rejoice. And he begins to rejoice in the fact that all of these things about the kingdom have been revealed not to the smartest people in the room not to the sharpest tools in the shed, not to the most educated or the most prestigious or the richest or the most influential, but rather to people like us. Did that hurt a little bit? I thought you'd be more encouraged. Okay, people like me. You guys are too smart for this. No, to regular folk like this, he says, Lord, I rejoice because you've chosen to show these things to the least of these. That, and here's what he's saying. Father, I thank you because you love everybody. And he was showing that Jesus is coming not based on what we have to offer to him, but what, on what he has to offer to us. We have him. And Luke is putting this in the story and we're seeing again and again and again and again that it's all about Jesus. It's all about being present with Jesus. And he finishes with this story. 
He wraps up in Luke 10 with this story. It was so perfect. Now it happened, verse 38, as they went that they entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Did you catch this? Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. What an awesome lady. She throws a dinner party and invites the creator of the universe into her house and brings the friends and the disciples. I mean, like, come on. How many of you guys want to make sure we're doing that, right? It's beautiful. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Which, by the way, is super reasonable, right? I mean, she, homegirl, like, set up a whole meal and everything. I mean, this is not like, sometimes Martha really gets a rough gig, right? For all of us that are, like, pretty administrative or, like, servant-type people and care about stuff, like, just a lot of you are glad that we got a house full of really healthy Marthas that live in this house. So let's not be hard on Martha, okay? Like, the lights would not be on, your chairs would not be clean, this place would be nasty, right, without all those beautiful spirit-filled Marthas in this house. And so, and Martha, by the way, was the one who invited Jesus to the house. So Mary wouldn't even have Jesus if Martha hadn't brought her. So let's not throw her under the bus. Probably wouldn't even have a house. But Jesus says this. <laughs> Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. All right, I want to pause right there. How many of us today that were worried and troubled about many things, you know, the coronavirus, the stock market's down right now. Um, your your kid is 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 uh, having a hard time reading in school right now, or or the you know the peer pressure side of things, or just maybe puberty for crying out loud. Um, you know, the, there's 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 marriage, there's relationships. Um, there's a lot of things, and and many of them are problems of success. By the way, right? Like, Martha had a problem of success. She had a huge party, and the, mat, the, the creator of the universe is in her living room. And she's like, oh, Martha's on bread duty, and nobody has any bread. Like, I mean, Mary, Mary's on bread duty, and no one has any bread. Like, we're ready. Let's do this thing. These are problems of success that we have. But Jesus says to her, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But then 42, he says something, and I want you to think about what we just heard, all of these things about the kingdom, all these things about God creating disciples, and Luke is trying to help us to understand what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, and he ends this chapter with this, but one thing is needed. You're worried about many things, but one thing is needed. You're troubled about many, many things, all of them I would dare say, Martha, all of them really important things. And he didn't say, you shouldn't think about those things, Martha. Shouldn't have a house to house me with or dinner for my disciples and me. He didn't say that. He just said a fact. He just stated a fact. You're worried about these many things. But Mary, but one thing is needed, Martha. And Mary's chosen that. And she's sitting at my feet. And what does he say? Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. You see, it wasn't that Martha was wrong. It was that Martha was out of calibration. It was just that Martha, had, she had it backwards. Martha should have been sitting at the feet too at that point and been like, hey Jesus, just while I'm here at your feet, the, the bread is baking. I heard that you multiply bread. 
but it's going to burn in about 35 minutes. So are we, where are we at with that? Where are we at with that? And Jesus would probably be like, you know I love bread. A little wink too. He'd be like, I'm the bread of life. Come on. So, <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is I just want to invite you. I want to invite you into the simplicity of this, of this beautiful invitation that Jesus gives us because you just saw Jesus doing working miracles, being revealed in his identity by the Father, multiplying his discipleship through these leaders, showing them all these aspects of the kingdom. But the thing that we see throughout is that Jesus keeps calling us back to himself. He's saying, look, sometimes, sometimes you have a house, sometimes you don't, but you always have me. Sometimes the world loves you, sometimes they hate you, but I guarantee you always have me. Sometimes you're, you're, you're healing and casting out demons and that's wonderful, but just remember the most important thing is you have me. And then when things are going well and I'm at your house with a dinner party and all my heroes are here in your home, just remember the best part is that you have me. And, that, and that's where, this is where we truly get we get robbed, and, and I want to say this, I, I, I don't, I don't want to become uh, just, you know, another, I don't want to become white noise, I don't want to become just another sound in your ear, okay? But we are blessed of God, and we have problems of success in our day and in this age, that we are the most rich, distracted people that have ever existed in the history of the world, right now. If you own one car, you're in the 5% club of the entire earth. 5% of humans own one car. If you own two cars, you're in like the, what is it, like 1.3% club of the earth. Do you hear me? What I'm saying is, even if you're here and you feel poor, you don't realize that in the, in the light of the world, you are rich. Is anybody in this room that doesn't have a cell phone, raise your hand. All right, my man. <laughs> Amen. Did you see that? One hand went up. You, you have a computer available to you that's stronger than what used to take up like four rooms at NASA, okay? You're blessed. But most of us live a life that is hurried and we are worried and we are troubled about many things because we curate a lifestyle that doesn't make room for us to sit at the feet of Jesus as a part of our day that we're in a rhythm and a cadence that is unsustainable. And we worry and we're troubled by many things. And here's what I want to invite you into is the simplicity of what Jesus has given us in the kingdom because it's all about being present with Jesus. So I want to just invite you into my living room right now. Um, and, and so just close your eyes for a second. And I'm just going to take you into one of my mornings. And one of my favorite ways to read the scripture as I've, as I've been going through Luke with you is I'll just sit down, I'll get my coffee and I sit down and I just open up the scriptures and I'll just read through the scriptures. Right now I've been reading through Luke 9 and 10 because that's where we are together. And I wait until a scripture is highlighted. So I'll just be reading through and then something gets highlighted and verse 42 is what, what was highlighted and what I'm preaching out of now is that time spent with the Lord. But let me tell you something, I was just with Jesus for me. Uh, the fact that you got something out of it, well, you're welcome, but I went there for me. And so I'm just gonna walk you through 
I'm just going to take you and I just want to walk you through a meditation of emphasis here on verse 42. So just go ahead and yeah, just, just, just get comfortable. And this is just a word emphasis meditation. So I just begin, Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I want to be present with you. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me to be present with, with Jesus. Be present with the Father. Be present with you, God. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. But one thing is needed. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Lord Jesus, I'm noticing that you're saying that one thing is needed. Jesus, I'm observing that Mary has chosen it. You didn't, you didn't make her do it. She got to choose it. I'm noticing that Martha is aware of a whole lot of things previously, but here Mary, she's chosen that one thing that was needed. I observe that you said that it won't be taken away from her, that if, that if, that if I choose that one thing, that others won't be able to take that from me because it's you. I noticed that Mary chose to sit at your feet. She, she took time to be with you, even though I'm sure she noticed Martha's <laughs> glancing and facial expressions and arm waving. But she just knew she had to choose that one thing. I observe that I'm easily drawn into so many things, Lord, and honestly, I am worried about a lot of things. But as I'm sitting here with you, meditating on the scripture, I'm observing those things are losing their power right now. They're smaller. In fact, I don't even, I don't really remember what I was worried about. 
Jesus, I request that you would help me to schedule time to be with you. Help me this afternoon to choose you, to stay present with you. I declare I will stay present with you. I declare I choose to sit at your feet and to be present with you today. Amen. How many of you can just sense that peace of his presence? Just to take that time to be quiet. And it wasn't that he wasn't here, was it? It's never that he wasn't here. It was that he was here and we were not aware of it. This is why I love emotionally healthy spirituality and the, the, the tools that are given to us. Could you, thank you. Um, could you take that down? Because um, it just invites us to practice having scheduled time to be present with the Lord. And it's not a matter of like you need to go spend 45 minutes or something, although that's wonderful when you have that. I usually spend an hour to an hour and a half in the morning, I get up early because I just got to be with him. I don't do it because I'm deeply spiritual or deeply disciplined. In fact, I kind of think I do it because I'm deeply not that disciplined. But the truth is, I love to be with him. But some mornings I'm only able to be with him for about 15 minutes. But I do what I just did. And I become aware of his presence and I take that with me. And then usually around about three o'clock each day, I just start getting nuttier than a squirrel turd. I really do. I just, I can't quite connect with the Lord. I just sense I'm a little wound up. And I go, you know what? That's not normal for me. I'm used to walking with the Prince of Peace. So what I do is I just take some time to quiet myself. And, I, and, in, and at three, I don't have a bunch of time. I have about five to seven minutes. And so I take five to seven minutes and I just begin to breathe and I just give some breath prayers to the Lord. And I just take time to meditate on whether it's a scripture or a prayer unto the Lord and I quiet myself. I just sit at his feet. I'm just quiet and silent before him and I invite myself to become aware of him again. And you know what? That peace that passes understanding begins to come back into my heart. Sometimes it's goosebumps, super fun, super pleasurable. Most times it's the presence of peace that returns. And then I walk through the day and in the evening I'll do it again before I go to sleep. I've just given you the secret to the contentment that I found in Christ. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But most of us perish because we know about things but we don't take time to be present. And I ask that we as a people, like Mary, would choose to set aside time as our rhythm and as our routine in each day to sit at his feet because one thing is needed. May we, may we choose that thing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you shalom. Shalom.